0: Of his presence. So if you got a Bible, turn with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to start a new uh, 10 week series today. And don't get bored already. I know we just started. Uh, But we're going to talk about life's struggles. Uh, How many people have problems? Don't look at your neighbor. All right. Uh, We all have problems. Life is full of struggles, it's full of things that really, uh, from marital problems, parenting, financial struggles, money, uh, from work trouble, trying to balance work and life in general. Maybe you just sometimes don't feel good about yourself. There's uh, image issues. Uh, We all deal with health issues. Sometime in your life, you're going to have a health issue from sickness uh, to disease to surgeries and ultimately death. We're all going to lose someone, and many of us in this room have lost very special people to us. So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to hit all these areas and figure out how do we go through all the common life struggles the kingdom way. How do we do it as a kingdom-minded people, and to demonstrate to the world, who is lost and broken, how to go through these things uh, with Jesus. And if you're excited for that, somebody say amen. amen. So this morning, we're going to tackle marriage And I'm going to give you a disclaimer, this is going to relate to you if you are married, or maybe some of you are desiring to be married, or how many people know a married person? Show of hands. Okay, great. We're all going to get something, okay? If you know a married person, this is for you. Uh, But I want to pray. Father, this morning, can you just help me to speak only what you have for me to speak? Lord, would you speak in every man, woman, boy, and girl here this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit, illuminate Biblical truth. For us to walk out as a Kingdom people to demonstrate to the world the great love of the Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We just invite you, Lord, in this moment. In Jesus' name. All God's people said. Life struggles, part one, is marriage. Of all the things that I am bad at, the number one thing I probably struggle at as being is a husband. Uh, I have been with Beth since I was 16. So here we are 22 years later, she's the only girl I've ever dated, kissed, held hands with, been on a date with, is just Beth. And uh, that's because I was unattractive and nerdy when I was a kid. Uh, (laughs) She just compromised. No. Uh, So that's very blessed. That's very rare, and I understand that. It's not normally people's story, but I thank God for that, and I pray that over my girls. But of all the things that I, all the hats that I wear, the hardest, most challenging hat that I have to put on every day is to be, her husband. After 22 years of dating one woman, uh, I still have a problem trying to figure out who she needs me to be sometimes. And, you know, it's kind of like this in, in marriage it's that uh, you could think you're doing pretty good for a long while, and then after one argument, you realize you've been failing for months. Uh, you, you're just like, I didn't know I was that bad lately. Uh, but you kind of, that's marriage, that's part of it. And so I'm just going to be honest with you, and we're going to go through some of the challenging things about being a Christian. Couple in marriage. So, why is it so hard to be married? Uh, Why does it feel sometimes like we're not in sync? Why do we keep coming back, maybe around to the same arguments? And sometimes, how do you get through a difficult season? Uh, At times, in marriage, you can feel alone, even though you're together. Sometimes, you can feel tired and hopeless, even though it seems like everything is going well. Sometimes, uh, you could. If I was to ask you a question, let's say it this way: If your marriage was perfect tomorrow, what would be different and would it be you? If your marriage was perfect tomorrow what would be different and would it be you? You see God has a design for marriage. I'm going to kind of go back to Genesis before we get to our text in Ephesians 5. God had a functional design for marriage. And the world has really rejected this functional design because the world ultimately rejects authority. The world, the Bible says, is full of rebellion, and it sees God's design for marriage as antiquated and outdated. It sees it as patriarchal and authoritative. And that's really because the world doesn't understand God's design, it doesn't understand how God has designed marriage to be an illustration of His love and His uh, authority. Uh, see, marriage began uh, years ago, many, many years ago, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It began with mutual love and respect. So you go back, you've got Adam and Eve in the garden, each made by the hand of God. And they were to be one body, one spirit, and one purpose. One body, one spirit, and one purpose. That's what marriage is to be. Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Somebody say, one flesh. flesh. Marriage was meant to be one man and one woman and for one lifetime. That's not a very popular slogan these days, but that's really what it was designed for. One man, one woman, one. One lifetime. But then enter in the fall, Genesis chapter 3. There was a fall. We lost that perfect balance of love and respect in the garden. Genesis 3, we know the story. Perhaps this morning uh, Adam and Eve, they ate of the forbidden fruit. Uh, they had a knowledge immediately of shame. They feared God. They hid from Him. And they began to do what? Blame one another. Well, the woman you gave me is the one that did this, blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, the snake really said this. And they began to really look at each other in comparison. They were separated from God. Does God love me? Does, does God? Am I good enough for God? Am I good enough for my husband? May it, is this thing working out? They begin to look at each other. And so this perfect triune relationship, God, man, and woman, completely broken, completely shattered. Not only broken between God, but one another. So in Genesis 3.16, here's Eve's curse. He says to her, you're going to have pain in your purpose. Your purpose is to be a, a helpmate and a mom. And you're going to have pain in that purpose. We're going to trouble that. That, that purpose is now troubled. Pain in your purpose as a mom and in conflict in your marriage. Says says your, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, Eve previously was bone from bone, flesh from flesh. She was one body and one mind and one spirit with Adam. Adam didn't have dominion over Eve. In fact, Adam was given dominion over all the world, uh, all of all of God's creations. But him and Eve were one mind, one body, one spirit. Same breath came in both of them, the same body was both of them and the same purpose was for both of them. There was no division between them. They couldn't even think about arguing John, even if they wanted to. Isn't that amazing? How could you can you imagine a relationship where you can't even imagine about being mad at a person? There's nothing that could ever make that person, you could ever disagree. You'll never disagree. You always go to the same restaurants on Friday night when you go on a date. You just pick it. It says the same words. There's nothing you could ever do to offend one another. She was his own body. But now it says, your desire will be to, that word in the Greek is to dominate your husband, but he would have dominion over you. Even though Adam never had dominion over Eve, now what is he saying? There's going to be conflict in your marriage. You're going to fight for first place. Both of you are going to continually fight for first place. Then it goes in verse 17 in Genesis 3, Adam's purpose, he says, your purpose is going to be difficult too. Your purpose was to work and steward this world, but now it's going to be hard work you never made bread before, God. God's always provided your food for you, but now by your own hands, you've got to make your own food. It's going to be tough. Your body is going to decay. You're going to sweat. Everything that was going to be easy with God is now going to be hard. Everything is now going to be by man's effort, not God's effort. Life is going to be tough. And it says then your marriage is going to be a burden. You're going to fight. It's going to be a hard thing, and life is going to be accomplished by your own work as your body decays and dies. Amen, somebody said, right? So, woo! yes. Thank you, Adam and Eve. But here's the good news. The Bible says even at the curse there's a promise. There was a son of Adam to come, and his name would be Jesus. And he would be the son of man, and he would bring people back to that new breath. Just like Adam and Eve were breathed into the breath of life, Jesus would come and make you born again, alive with God. And a new breath would come into your body, and you would get a new heavenly body. Not now, but later. And that new body would come, and everything would be restored. And uh, Adam and Eve's children would become children of God. And that's the promise. But here's the struggle. How many know the struggle is real, right? It's a struggle. I get a new breath. I get this promise of the Holy Spirit to help me be who God has always called me to be. But guess what? I still have this old nature. I'm living in the in-between, John. I'm living between what He has done and what He is still yet to do. I have this perfect union with my wife, but yet I'm not able to fulfill it. I have my old nature and my old body, but I still have yet the potential by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got a problem, but I've got potential. I want to talk to you this morning about how to let your marriage be made in God's image. How to let your marriage be made in in God's image. You see, your marriage is a fight for the new you. It's all about fighting for the new you. Look with me in Ephesians five, verse twenty-two. If you're there, somebody say Amen. amen. All right, Ephesians five, twenty-two. New living. This is, I'm, I'm the new living this morning. It says this: For wives, this means be submit submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. He's the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means, though, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their bodies. Note, husbands, this is a lot more about you than her. All right? For the man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we're members of His body. And as the Scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it, listen to this, it's actually an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband." I'm going to talk to you just on that verse about what wives should do and what husbands should do. Now, I know I'm living between the problem and the potential. The problem is I have my old nature. The potential is Jesus has come to make everything new again, back to how it was before the fall. I've got the new breath of the Holy Spirit, but I still haven't got my new nature and body yet. I'm still warring every day between my problem and my potential. He says, here's what the... Ultimate goal of a Christian couple. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. This is what I'm about to say is not for unmarried. Or sorry, un. Uh equally yoked, okay? It's for equally yoked relationships. So, two Christians who desire to be more like Jesus. If you're married to a person who's an unbeliever today, or you're in an abusive or adulterous relationship, this is not the context of this verse, okay? So, take this. So, here's what He says, wives should be this way, and husbands should be this way. So, in Genesis 3, 16, the curse was for husbands to rule over their wives. And so, what we're in the New Testament now. Well, Paul is speaking to New Testament people, and he says, well, this is how it should be. He says, I understand there's a curse here. It says, y'all are both equal, but now there's a fight for first place. She wants to dominate this relationship, but then the husband's supposed to dominate this relationship. He says, well, this is still an still effect in the church, but he takes it to a really spiritual application. So here, look at this. Something spiritual, because it's really about not him, ladies. It's about you and God. He says, literally, be to your husbands, this is the Greek, because the word submit is not in the first part, be to your husbands as you are to the Lord. That's literally what it says. But in verse 24 and verse 33, he's got two Greek words there. The first is subject, and that word means to be under the rank of someone, like in the military, be under the rank of someone and obedient to them. And in verse 33, the, ver- the verb there is respect. It means to serve and have reverence. And so, here's the question, ladies, why? 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 What am I supposed to do with this guy? His mama couldn't fix him. How am I I supposed to do that? So why does Paul say in a New Testament context, ladies, what does it mean to respect and serve and, and submit to your husbands? He's really saying this isn't for his sake. This is for your and the Lord's sake. It's not about him, ladies. It's about you and the Lord. Because what he's saying here is it means to follow your husband like you follow your head. It means to be to him what the church is to Christ. It means showing your obedience to God by honoring him. It's all about you and your relationship. Getting back to that pre-fall state where all of us, god uh, man and woman, were both in symbiotic unity. We were all serving and selfless. We were all serving others. It wasn't about me, 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 I'm at first, I'm fighting. It was all about giving yourself away for the sake of somebody else. And so for the wife, he says, serve your husband, submit to him. And again, it doesn't mean it's a dictator, men. It doesn't mean that she's your slave. It doesn't mean an adulterous or abusive or unbelieving husband. But it means, and even 1 Peter 3, 1 says, by your respect, ladies, you'll win the love of your husband. By honoring Him and respecting Him, you'll win over His love. That's how His language works. I'm going to talk about that in a second. That's how His love language works. By respecting Him, He will naturally start loving you even more. So husbands, don't think you're going to get out of it. Here's what He says to you. Husbands should. He says, man, even though you're the head, guess what? She's your own body. She's not disconnected from you. You should care for your wife like you care for yourself, now, this might be challenging for some men, because you're like, I just brush my teeth, throw my hair up, and just go out, I don't care what I, my clothes are ironed or wrinkled or whatever. But men, just like you care for yourself, he says, you care for your body. The mind, the body, cares that the heart is beating, it cares that the hands are moving, it cares about where it's going. It doesn't, it's not separate relationship. So the head cares for the body, just like Christ cares for the church. So that means, guess what, guys? You're not the boss, you're her servant leader. Amen, ladies. Come on, come on. This is your chance. (laughs) Amen. Okay. You're not the boss, guys. You're the servant leader. Guess what he says? Christ had all authority and power. He gave it up to make himself of no reputation, took the form of a bond servant even to death and death on a cross. He gave up his power and position. So, guess what, guys? You got it, but you got to lose it. Ladies, you're lower, but you've got to give honor, and he's going to raise you up. So, guess what this is? It's a fight now for second place. In the world we fight for first place in a non-Christian marriage. But in a Christian marriage we are both fighting not for who's going to kick the remote on Friday night, but who is going to be second place. Second place. Somebody say second place. He's saying it's not about first place now, it's about second place. And so even though men you are the head, you're there to serve the body. Ladies, even though you're the body, you're there to serve the head. So he says, guys, verse 33, the verb for you is love. This is the word we get for agape love. It is is the generous, faithful, selfless, sacrificial love demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. To give up your position and privilege, exalting your wife, to die for her best interests. And again, look at men, this will be a great verse, or ladies, to put this on your husband's mirror. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, She is your equal partner in God's gift, of new life. The fall is before. This is, look at it, I got people elbowing each other. Uh, this She's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, men, or your prayers won't be answered. Whoo! Come on, somebody. Your prayers won't be answered if you don't treat your wife for first place. Lift her up. So, here's the image. We lost the image. He says, let us make man in our image. In that word, he's talking about both of them. Man and woman were to be made in the image of God. And what God was doing there, He says let us make men in our own image. What is He doing? He's inviting man and woman into this triune relationship with Himself. And when He says our image, think about the, the way we believe in the Trinity. And that is that The Father loves the Son and gives all things to the Son. But when the Son comes down to earth, what does He do? Gives all honor and authority to the Father. And everything is about the Father. And when Jesus leaves, what does He do? The Father sends the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He gives all honor to the Son and He proceeds from the Father. You see this? God is, is not selfish. He's selfless. And in His own oneness, He's trying to show you how He's all about selflessness and love. And He says, let's make man Like us. Let's make it to where Adam is always gonna be for Eve, and Eve is always gonna be for Adam. And they're both gonna be lifting me up, and I'm going to lift them up. They're the pinnacle of creation. Everything is gonna be under their power and dominion, and they're always gonna be reflecting to the entire universe who I am. So, marriage is an illustration of God's love to the world. Amen. It's an illustration. So, that's why marriage is a fight for second place. Marriage is all about showing the world who God really is. So husband and wife, the Lord is teaching you through your spouse when they push all of your buttons how to be more like God. Isn't that good? Your spouse is there to make you more like Jesus. So in the next argument you have and you just really you know, ticked off at each other, just say, hey honey, I'm just making you more like Jesus. You know, you just remind them you're there to make them more like Jesus. Test their patience, push all their buttons, and then see what comes out. See, you got to be more like Jesus. You know, that, it's all about being more like him. So let me give you a challenge, though. Christian couple, you are never more Christian than you are to your spouse. You're never more Christian than you are at home, mom and dad. You're never more Christian. That's where true colors are showing, is when everybody, nobody's looking, all the, all the titles and, and labels are gone, and the real you comes out after a long 12-hour drive from the in-laws' house, going from Missouri to Louisiana, and the kids have been screaming for six of those hours, and you're there, and you've got road life, you know, all day, and then everything is there, and the water breaks. I mean, that, I, I'm not saying this from experience or anything, but, but <laughs> it's like the real you is going to be found out and that's when you're the most Christ-like. If I can be Christ to my spouse, I can be Christ to anybody. So you're never more Christian than you are to your spouse. Ladies, that means your submission to your husband is a reflection of how you submit to God. You'll never submit more to God than you do to your husband. And husbands, challenge is over really on you. Husband, your sacrificial love for your wife is a reflection of how you have sacrificial love for God. When the wife respects her husband, his goal is to respond in Christ-like love. And when the husband loves his wife sacrificially, her goal is to honor and respect him. But here's the th- challenge. If one person doesn't do their job, then what? Well, I just, well he doesn't love me, so I'm just going to respect him. He didn't love that meatloaf, I don't care what he thinks. You know, like, if she's not loving, then I'm, you know, if she's not respecting me, then I'm just not going to say something loving back. That's not how it works. It's always secondary. It's always selfless. Failure on one person's part doesn't have anything to do with the other person. Your job is to continue to honor that person as you honor God. Husbands, to love that wife, even if she's not respecting you as you love the Father. Wives, to respect your husband even if he's not loving you as you respect the Father. How do you do this, though? This thing is a daily willful choice to die to self and not to try to do it by your own efforts, but to allow that new breath, that Holy Spirit on the inside of you to teach you to be more like God. You can never do the Christian marriage in your own effort because it was our effort that led to the fall. But you have to rely on the work of Jesus Christ who comes to make you a new man and a new woman with a new breath. And He will give you the power on the inside of you as you deny yourself and pick up your cross to follow Christ. He will provide the resources and power to make you the Christian couple that makes you an illustration of God's love. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let me give you ten though, ten tips real fast for overcoming life struggles the kingdom way. How do you do this? We say, Pastor that's great theology. I understand it. We're all fighting for second place now. It's not a power struggle. Uh, women, respect, husband's love, and yada, yada, yada. And that's all about Jesus. Okay, I got it. But now, it's Monday. <laughs> Where do I go from here? Let me give you ten things, real quick. Ten tips for overcoming life struggles in marriage, the kingdom way. Number one is this, teamwork. Makes the dream work. Amen. Teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, This is probably of all the 10, and I'm not going to list all my failures, but of all the things that Beth and I really, really, I think, excel in, is she is my perfect teammate. In a marriage, you need to define the roles. Now, we know that husbands do this and wives do that, and uh, maybe you're saying, Well, guys, I'm going to do the outside stuff, and ladies do the inside stuff. That was my parents' uh, roles that they had to determine. He's the lawn guy, she's the inside. That's great. But let me tell you something. Sometimes in a working society, women have a job, right? Inflation. Everybody's got to work now. And so, guys, that means, guess what? You can do laundry, too. (laughs) Amen, somebody. Come on. Where's the ladies at? I mean, amen. Men, you can do laundry, too. You can do the dishes. You can vacuum. If she's busy with the kids and she's tired, y'all have to be the perfect team. Discuss these things. What is your gifts? What are your talents? What are your abilities? But guess what? Somebody's got to take out the trash. That's just how it works. And so men, it's not all about equal. It's, it's got to be equal. There must be equality in the weekly chores according to availability and skills. He may do the yard work and she may cook. But men, we've got to do our part as well. Be a good and effective team. Get to a place in your marriage to where you don't even have to discuss it and no one has to ask you to help. Come on somebody. We shouldn't have to ask each other to help. We are a unit, a team to effectively work together. Number one, teamwork makes the dream work. Number two, communicate, communicate, communicate. There's a book uh, called Love and Respect. Beth and I actually just finished about a month ago. Uh, Dr. Emerson Egeritz is a famous book. Uh, I just took forever to read it. Uh, It says marriage is off to get on this thing called the crazy cycle. That's where arguments keep coming around, uh, because when a husband feels disrespected, he has a natural tendency not to act in ways that are loving to his wife. And when a wife feels unloved, her natural tendency is to not be very respectful to her husband. So it's like a trigger, all right? So it goes like this. Without love, she reacts without respect. And without respect, he reacts without love. And this is called the crazy cycle. We're just continually on this thing going on. And because men and women don't often speak the same language. And if you've never read The Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman I would highly, highly, highly recommend you getting that as soon as you get out of church today. But ladies, you often trigger your man to shut down. When you want to control him and tell him how bad he's been doing he is going to shut down because he feels disrespected. And he's not going to start saying awesome, sappy, romantic things to you or how much he loves you because he doesn't speak that language. In the same way, guys, it's the opposite. She needs you to speak a love language to her, otherwise she's not going to respect you. So positive communication has got to be a key for every marriage, and something called active listening, something that guys like myself are very, very bad at. I'm good with, like, counseling people, but I don't know what it is about being home, uh, that active listening counseling stuff, just, I don't have a degree in this, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but men, kinda, every man kind of do like this. Okay, <laughs> this is it, man, right here. This is your zone. Uh-huh, yep, mm-hmm. Eye contact, shake your head, nod when she's talking to you because that's going to make all the difference in the world. This is the secret of marriage. Nod your head, men. Look at her in the face. It's called active listening. Talk back. Say something that she said. Oh, yeah, how does that make you feel? Does that think you, Mm mm-hmm, yes, Mm mm-hmm. This is it. That's called active listening. It's Another word is parrot talk. Just repeat back what she's saying. (laughs) Yeah, so she knows that you're listening. Positive communication. Why? Because when we don't do this... Uh, it keeps us from intimacy, leads to defensiveness, self-esteem issues, and more. We keep on the crazy cycle. The tip is to over-communicate. Tell him what you want ahead of time. Ladies, your husband does not read your mind. Don't be mad if he doesn't get it because he's not thinking anything like what you think. He's thinking about something else, entirely hunting, fishing, what he's about to do after, after work. He has no clue that your mind can handle 14 different things at the same time, and you are still talking about something emotional from three weeks ago. He has no idea, so have to explain it to us. Over-communicate. Don't be mad and don't expect mind reading. Don't prepare an argument while you're listening. Make eye contact. Nod your head. Ask a question. Over-communicate. Say the, and then I'll say this. Say the hard stuff. Say the heart. Sometimes we hold things in and we, we are mad at a person because we've really never told them why we're mad at them. And all of a sudden we're just mad. And you should have known I'm mad, but they don't. That's men, okay? Uh, you have to tell them. Just be blunt. Tell them how it is. Two is communicate, communicate, communicate. Number three, keep the books in check. Financial strain is one of the leading causes of divorce in America. And guess what? Everybody needs to work. If, there's no re- if you're a stay-at-home mom, that's your job. You're working. I applaud you. Uh, but everyone has to work. Every person in a marriage has to do their part. Avoid unnecessary debt. Spend below your means. Maybe one of you is more gifted in finances, that's okay. Find out which one of you is the best bookkeeper and, and delegate those things. Beth, in our relationship, I pay all the bills, I handle all the finances, uh, I'm good with computers, so she's like, I don't understand all that, that's great. But guess what? Beth knows every password, she knows every purchase I make, and there is no my money and his money or her money in marriage. Guess what? It is our money. There's no separate bank accounts. Now, if they have to do that, understand, put both people on the accounts. There's no his money and her money. In marriage, it's our money. There's no separation, and that leads to distrust and speculation. Make decisions together. Somebody say, amen. Make decisions together. Keep the books in check. Don't have secret accounts. Talk about everything that you buy. Number four, keep the bedroom in check. This goes right on with it. In a world, we have a world focused on image and self-pleasure and performance, but a biblical marriage requires emotional intimacy in physical intimacy, it means emotionally. It means that we remove the mask. We're honest with each other. We we have vulnerability. We share our our needs, our wants, our our future hopes and plans. We take off all the things that have been put on us by the world. Maybe even our troubles in our past or hurts uh, from our childhood. And physical intimacy means to be goes back to Adam and Eve, one body, to give yourself wholly and only. Somebody say only, only to one person. That's what that means intimacy is one person. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.3 says the husband and wife have a duty to fulfill one another's physical needs and they're not to deprive one another of each other. That means guys and girls go on dates, hold hands, be romantic, enjoy one another physically. That's part of marriage. That's, how it have, uh, that's healthy marriage. But at the same time it means nobody else is invited into the bedroom. It means that this exclusively is for him and her alone. And it means that I have to guard unity in my marriage. That means I put up boundaries. For me, it means I don't get in a car with anybody who's not my wife. Now I probably don't even get in a car sometimes with her. No. (laughs) It means that I'm not alone with people of the opposite sex. I don't have secret messages with someone. And I avoid emotional communication with a person that is not my wife, that is a woman. I don't get into sharing feelings with another woman unless it's in counseling, and then that's all scheduled and scripted, and, and somebody else knows about it. I don't have, my wife knows all the passwords of my account. She can get on my phone anytime. She can unlock my phone, look at any messages, because there's no secrets between us. This is a oneness in body, in mind, in emotion, that we are all together. It means that I watch, uh, we should watch how we're inviting other people by how we dress. Come on, somebody. No, There's no th- such thing as harmless flirtation. There's no such thing as, uh, uh, in a, you know, uh, we got to watch our body language. Let me just say it that way. Put protective measures online, men and women. Keep the bedroom in check. You have a duty to each other to be one for each other. Enjoy one another and protect one another. Have boundaries. Number five is this. Fight fair. Uh, I love this one fight fair. I'm good at fighting, y'all. I'm just telling you. We're pretty good. Beth and I are very good at fighting. We, we were experts at fighting. We could teach fighting. You know, every, though, every fight needs rules of engagement. Every boxing match has a bell, has a referee, has some boxing gloves, and, and there's a process for how this happens. And I'm going to say you, this is one of the, been the greatest things for me and my wife is learning how to fight fair. Uh, let me give you a few tips. Healthy marriages are not those that don't have conflict, but they just deal with it in a positive way. So learn to fight fair. Here's Here's some things that Beth and I do. Uh, only address one issue at a time. Uh, we're not fighting about all things about 10 years ago. We're fighting about this thing right here right now. We only fight about one thing at a time. Schedule your arguments. You can do this. Say, I can't handle this right now. It's 11 o'clock at night. We're not ready for this. Uh, it's going to be 3 o'clock in the morning So we handle it. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. That's totally cool. Find a time to talk about it. Uh, rotate in five minute intervals. Probably one of the best things is that you get five minutes, I get five minutes. You get five minutes and I get five minutes until we're done. I don't interrupt you when you talk, and You don't interrupt me when I talk. And when your five minutes is up, then it's my five minutes. That is the best thing in the world, I'm telling you. Refuse to bring up the past. Avoid hot-button issues. Don't talk about my mama. I'm just saying, no, not really. <laughs> don't make light of any problems. Husbands, if she brings up a problem, you have to address it. Don't phrase things with, you always and you never. In fact, in my house, if either one of us say, you always do this or you never do that, we stop the argument and ring the timeout bell, and we take a 30-minute break. Because I don't always do something, and I don't always never do something. That's whitewashing. It's called blame and uh, speculation, right? Uh, there's no ridiculing, name-calling, or put-downs. And we never, ever, 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 ever say the D word. Divorce. And the other words are bad, too, but divorce. Never say the D word. It's not an option. Take it off the table. Take a time out if it's getting too emotional. And then, when you're done, say I'm sorry and choose to move on. Get over it. Get over it. Move on. Choose to move on. Fight fair. Number six, take off the glasses. You know, sometimes you wake up one day to find your relationship has lost its spark. You've been together for years, you're tired, um, and you realize one day you're just roommates. It happens. You've lost maybe faith in one another, or maybe after a while, he just, ladies, just gets that annoying. I don't know. Maybe we do. Just get that annoying. And after a while, the rosy colored glasses, uh, this illustration, the rosy colored glass that you had in the honeymoon when your mama told you that you were getting into something, you said, he's the best thing since life spread, mama. I mean, you couldn't find another man like this, and then ten years later, you're like, mama, I know what you're talking about now. Uh, You know, because you take off the rosy colored glass, you choose to see the best in someone when you first get married. Then later on, it's easy to have sunshades. You ever walk into a building, you're like, why is it so dark in here? And you're like, oh, you still have your sunshades on. That's how marriage can get sometimes. After a while, you start seeing things in a dark colored lens. And you have to choose to start seeing the best in each other again. That means to remember the good times. One of the things we do at our house is we're certain to have a lot of fun, good pictures. Facebook is great about this, about your memories. Every time I get a memory about me and Beth going somewhere, I share it with her on an instant messenger, because I want to remember the good times. Sometimes life is hard. You get through a hard season. you got to go back to those photo albums that we don't print anymore. Go to Walmart. Make a bunch of photo albums. Put them around your house. Put good pictures on the wall. Remember the dates. Go and do something fun. Remember the good times. Choose to believe the best in each other. And that they're not always negative. They're not always thinking uh, maybe about the things that you are. It takes hope, love, and work to keep a marriage alive. So choose to change the negative thinking. And overlook the faults. Take off the glasses. Number seven, forgive and you'll live. It's true. Forgive and live. Maybe you keep coming back to something, and maybe this is really probably more for the ladies, because guys, they. We're just not that smart. We, we, don't, we don't hold on to things as much as ladies do for whatever reason. And, and guys, we just kind of move on. We forget about it. But sometimes you keep coming back to stuff. And sometimes there are things that have not been communicated or things that you thought were resolved but didn't get resolved. And so you have to be honest and open and choose to forgive that person. Let me tell you something, a secret about forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is commanded and it's required. Forgiveness is, it's not an option scripture. Jesus says, if you forgive, you, if you don't forgive another person, the God in heaven cannot forgive you. Forgiveness is like a cancer. It eats away at every relationship. And while I don't, uh, if I forgive a person doesn't mean I automatically trust them or that we've got into right relationship. There's an earning of trust. Trust is earned, but forgiveness is required. I have to forgive people. But what do I do? A forgiveness takes a debt, and when you say you owe me an apology, it means that there was something taken from you. And let me tell you something, nobody can give that thing back to you. It's been taken. So uh, when someone, even not my spouse, uh, does something to me, and I feel like they owe me apologies, whether they give me an apology or not, I can choose to forgive that person, and guess who pays the debt for them? Oh, my Jesus. Jesus pays the debt for them, and He's the one that's going to fill that gap in my heart. I'm going to walk out that thing about trust and relationship and boundaries, and we're going to work through this thing together. But the healing of my heart comes not from my wife. It comes from Jesus. I've got to let him heal things. There's wounds that somebody can't ever undo. Some things, once you say them, you can never take them back. And marriages will die if you can never get over those things that you accidentally said or that you wish you could take back or you wish you'd remember that anniversary. And I can't believe we're still fighting about this. Ten years later, I said I was sorry. And how many times do I have to say I'm sorry? Why? Because you haven't allowed Jesus to heal that part. You've got to allow Jesus to help you forgive so that you can live. Maybe there's unset expectations in your marriage. You didn't expect things this way. You wish things were different. You have to communicate those. Choose to deal with the problems. Openly communicate and forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Number eight, real quick, make more deposits than withdrawals. There are things in your life that you do that will make withdrawals. Husbands make a lot of withdrawals sometimes. Selfish demands, disrespect, sometimes it's angry outbursts, sometimes it might be dishonesty. There are things that we do uh, that will take a withdrawal. Your your marriage is like a bank account. You've got to make more deposits than withdrawals. You've got to keep putting into this thing. You can't take it from great... Mom and uh, husband and wife, mom and dad, you've been married for a long time. You're on autopilot sometimes. You realize, you recognize, man... We haven't done anything fun lately. I haven't said I love you very much. Or we have, we've just kind of taken life for granted just to get through to the week. But guess what? Along the way, you've been short with each other. You've been cynical. You're both tired. There's been a lot of withdrawals. And then you wake up one day and you wonder, how come we're not happy? You haven't been making deposits into your bank account along the way. You have to make more deposits than withdrawals. And let me give you, there's a number psychologists kind of worked out years ago. It's five to one. One withdrawal is like $5. And one deposit is like $1. One nice thing you do is like one, right? One to five. It takes five nice things into your marriage bank account to cover one withdrawal. That's just the way we work. You know you remember the bad things a lot more than the good things? You forget how much fun you've had in the last 10 years of your marriage, but you remember the few arguments that really, you know, set you off. You remember those bad things. Why? Because you've got to have more deposits than withdrawals. Man, this is good stuff, y'all. You writing this down? Okay. Number nine, be the best you. Uh, you know, sometimes you lose yourself in marriage. You wake up, you're like, I, I don't know who I am anymore. You ever thought that? Don't raise your hand. Sometimes you forget who you are. When you got married, guess what? You get to still be you. They married you because you're you, right? Huh? Ladies, he married you because you're you. He doesn't want you not to be you anymore. Guess what that means. You can take some self-care. You don't have to be the best mom in the world. You don't have to be the best wife of the world. Ladies, you put so much pressure on yourself to perform. You always want to live up to some expectation that nobody's put on you but you. Can I be honest? That's true. Ladies put a lot of expectation. I've got to be the best wife. I've got to be the best mom. I've got to have the best house. I've got to have the best kids. Why come? I mean, we're always living up to something. But he married you before you were any of that. Just like Christ died for you while you were still sinners. You need to be the best you... But that means you're half of your marriage. If you're sick, so is your marriage. If you're not feeling good about yourself, your marriage is not going to feel good about itself because you're half your marriage. So that means take some time to feel good about yourself. Work out, eat well, read a book, get a hobby, have a life. It's okay. Mom and dad who live for your kids and you do everything for your kids, you need to have a life on your own, separate from your kids. Your marriage needs to have a life separate from your kids. Your kid needs to get out of the bedroom and go get their own room. Can I say that? Oh. Care about your appearance. Ladies, it's good. Care about your appearance for your husband, not for anybody else. Our Facebook, for your husband. But then also be the best you together. That means do fun stuff. Laugh. Go on dates. Take a cheap trip. Good luck today. Take a cheap trip. Make something up. Do something. You know, the other day, Beth and I, we just made something together in the kitchen, right? Just do something together, do something fun. Go on a random trip to Walmart, just look at people. I don't know, go do something. Be the best you. lastly is this, 10, go to church. Go to church. You know, there's a statistic that says religious people have longer marriages than non-religious people. Why? Because you have a commonality of morals, of expectation, of routine, Uh, You have values that are together. But more than religious, and I'll wrap it up with this, that marriage is spiritual. Two people committed to be like Christ will end up at the same destination. We're all going to the same direction. You want to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus. Guess what? We're going to end up at the same spot. We're both going to end up being like Jesus. And guess what? Then we'll be one. Be submitted to Christ for this to work in your life. And that's why Christians should not be unequally yoked. Those of you who are dating or engaged, don't marry a person who's not a Christian. That's in the Bible. Put your spiritual life first. Mom and dad, put your spiritual life first. Before your kids, before your schedules, before your work, put your spiritual life first, and your marriage will last. It's guaranteed. That means this. Husbands, lead your wife to Christ. And I'll close with this. Wives, love your husbands to Christ. Husbands, lead your wife to Christ. Wives, love your husbands to Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your heart, open your hearts with me this morning? Let your marriage be made in God's image. Your marriage is a reflection of God's love to this lost and dying world. Thank God that he did not leave us in our brokenness, but he sent his son to invite us back into this perfect relationship within himself. God so loved the world, even though we turned our back on Him, the Son of Man came to seek and save. That was lost. And Jesus wants to invite us into this perfect relationship where you feel totally loved and totally accepted just as you are. He wants to receive you to Himself, and then when you see how much He loves you, guess what we do as a church? We naturally respond in worship and honor and respect because we see how much He loved us. And this is Christianity. It's not a workspace thing. It's a response to the love of God. And that's where we're going to begin here this this morning, before we end this service today. Have you rightly responded to the unmerited grace and endless love of God? Have you joined with Him in united Holy Communion? Are you married to God? Jesus is the head and we are the body. He is the Christ and we are the church. And he wants to be in perfect relationship with you with nothing separate. He lowered himself and gave himself to make himself of no reputation that he might lift you up. And as you live your life, your goal should be because of his lowering, you should give your life to lift him up. We're fighting for last place. Jesus fought for you and went to last place. How can I, not, uh, who gave me everything, also freely give him everything? How can, how can I hold a place of any privilege or honor in my life and just say, God, I'm not worthy. I just want to lift you up, Jesus. How great a love that he's given for us.